Thank you, Life Church. It is so good to be with you today. And I would just say this no matter what is happening today, I would encourage you to get ready because we are living in exciting times. And I believe that between this, between now and Easter, we are going to see more life change and more people come to Christ than we have ever in a, in a span of time in our church. That's what God's doing. I can tell that it's happening. And so I encourage you to be ready. You may be sitting there saying, well, Pastor Dan, we'll see how this goes. You know, those chairs look kind of ugly. And I would say, amen, we got to raise some money and get rid of those ugly chairs. Uh, but, but you may say, I'm just going to sit on the sideline and, and, you know, see what happens. We'll go for it. But I want some of my friends to come to Jesus as this fall, right? I, I want some of my friends to come to Jesus. I'm going to be taking an invite over to one of my neighbors that God has specifically opened some doors of, of communication with, and I am excited for what God is going to do. Now, get this. You can, I, I realize that um, it is a strange time in our society, in culture, right? This whole COVID thing, and we can only have 25% of people at church at one time, or 25% capacity, all of these strange things, okay? God does great things in the midst of strange times. Can I tell you that? God does great things in the midst of strange times. I, I, I read this book, the, the Bible, and it talks about a man who took 12 people and invested in them under the most brutal rule in history, the Roman Empire, and they changed the world. And you and I are here today, and they were only 13 guys Okay, there's more than 13 of us in this room this morning. So I think that's plenty to see great change in the city of Appleton, in, in the greater Appleton area. Let's say the valley. Okay, we love people from Nina as well. So uh, through the whole valley area, that's I've been here long enough to tease now, right? So in the greater valley area, we, we believe that God can use this church for change. I believe... All of the days, this, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but I believe all of the days of my life brought me to such a time as this. That's what I believe. And I believe all of the years of set up and tear down and all of these different things that we've done have brought us to such a time as this. Amen. That's right. That's what I believe. And it's going to be exciting. It's going to be great. So uh, good to have you with us today. And we are in week three of a series called Reset. And before I get into that, let me say this, just a little personal note, I am free. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that I've been uh, carrying this wedge around, so I am free. Uh, I'm limited, but free, and it feels so good at least to not be in that. Um, but if you see this one arm kind of hanging, that means I overdid it while I was getting excited. So uh, it's, we're, we're in this series, Reset. To reset means to set it back to what it was or to change it moving forward. A lot of times your alarm or um, 
passwords, whatever. you you got to figure out your password. Maybe that's just my deal. I told you a couple weeks ago. It says, did you forget your password? I just automatically mark yes. Let's reset that, baby. Now I've got a list of 21 passwords in my phone so I can keep track of them so I don't have to reset all of those. But we're going to continue that series today, Reset. We're going to look at Amos chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, just a short book of the Bible toward the end, uh, Amos chapter 6. But the first week we looked at reviewing. Let's review some things in our lives, we said, and, and take inventory of where we are. COVID was a great time to do that, to pay attention to some of the details, some things that maybe need to be changed in our lives. And as we did that, Last week, we talked about repenting or changing some of the things that were revealed to us as we reviewed where we've been. And I don't know about you, but there were a couple of items that, that God put on my heart. You need to change this. In fact, I, I will tell you this, and I'll confess it publicly so uh, you can help keep me accountable. God uh, really impressed in my heart, and I know I've had a good excuse. Lord, my arm hurts. That's why my diet's bad. You, you see <laughs> how that goes? But the Lord impressed on my heart that you won't accomplish all the things I want you to accomplish if you don't get back to watching your diet and exercise. It all goes together. So if by the end of the summer you don't see some positive change in me, help keep me accountable. So um, there, there are things that we need to change in. And so today, out of that idea of what we need to change, I want to talk to you out of the book of Amos about recommitting. So when you see these things you need to change or repent of, turn, make a, make a change of direction, a change of thought process, then you have to follow that up with some recommitment, right? Because it doesn't matter if you review, it doesn't matter if you see things that you should change, if you do not commit to the process of change, you will be the same as you've always been. Even though you'll have new intellectual property, so to speak, you won't make the changes. Now, some of you don't know me that well, and I try and hide it, but I've got a little bit of country in me, right? My dad is from like the smallest, now it's one of the ugliest towns in Wisconsin. I'm not kidding you. And, and that's where our heritage is, and, and I don't want to live there and lead there and do church there. But I love to go there and get my hillbilly on and jump on some horses and, and ride and be in the barn and in the farm and all that. I wear cowboy boots when I'm there, right? I mean, that's, that's uh, real life for me over there. So I go from white kicks to cowboy boots, and it's a blast. But uh, cup, two things on the farm I don't like. I don't like chickens. One chased me when I was a boy. A rooster chased me when I was a boy, and I don't like them. And I don't like pigs on the farm because I can tell you from firsthand experience that when you fall in that pile that gets pushed to the edge of the barnyard and it gets in your mouth, it's gross. I can tell you. So that tainted my perception of pigs, okay? But I want to use pigs and chickens uh, to start off our message today as we talk about recommitment. You see, the story goes like this. A farmer had chickens, a particular chicken, and a pig. And he treated them so well. And in fact, the chicken and the pig got together one day. And they're like, 
can you believe this farmer, how he treats us? I mean, he, he takes such good care of us. The chicken says, I got a coop fit for a king. I mean, this thing is awesome. Some of you younger ones, you'd say, that's dope. Or somebody said to me last night, they said this, that is so drip. I'm like, what are you talking about? I, could you speak English for me here a second? You know, so whatever word you would say, that, the, the, this chicken was like, that's it. And the pig is like, oh, yeah, he gives me the best slop. It's just amazing. You know, I love it. So as they're getting together and they're talking, the chicken says, we got to do something special for the farmer. Pig's all in. He's like, oh, yeah, we got to do something special for the farmer. What are we going to do? So they brainstorm for a while, and the chicken says this. He says, we should make him a special breakfast. Pig's like, oh, yeah, let's make him a special breakfast. What do we want to make him? The chicken says, let's have ham and eggs. Pig's like, yeah, let's serve him ham and eggs. He's all excited, and a couple seconds later, he's like, hold on a second. Ham and eggs? You only have to give an egg. i got to be fully committed, right? Because at the end of this breakfast, I'm done, right? And that, that's such a good illustration of what it is to contribute to something and what it is to be fully committed. Chicken got to contribute. The pig had to fully commit. And I think a lot of times in our lives, we want to contribute to whatever it is. We want to contribute to the cause. We want to contribute to the things of God. But there's a difference in contributing and really committing. And I want to talk to you about recommitting, true commitment, and, and what that means in our lives. And so before we get into that, I want to give you a little bit of background on Amos. Amos, of course, is what we would consider, or this man, his writings, one of the minor prophets throughout the history of Israel. God would speak to the children of Israel through these prophets. And like Isaiah has uh, countless books, and then Amos is a short book, or chapters, I'm sorry, countless chapters in Isaiah. Amos only has a short portion of, of chapters and writings. And so we have major prophets, minor prophets, and, and uh, Amos would be one of those guys because what would happen is Israel would always get doing well. They would always uh, have this blessing of God. They would start to forget about God. God would send a prophet to tell them about the difficult days that are going to be coming if they don't change what they're doing. So then sometimes they would repent. Other times God would have to give them discipline to repent. And that was just kind of the process that they were going through. But I love this, that God always gave warning before he sent judgment. I love that about God. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? You're like, you're going a certain way, a certain direction, and, and something trips in your mind, and, and it says, you know, you really should leave that behind. I don't want you to go that direction, right? And you, you may override it. You, you may say, nah, I, I'm going to do this anyway, and, and the next week that kind of increases. Hey, there are going to be some consequences. If you don't surrender this, if you don't walk away from this, you're, you're going to feel it, you're going to regret it. 
well, that's probably a good point, but one, two, three, four more weeks isn't going to bother me, and then something happens. And you, and you say, God warned me the whole time. He, he, he was talking to me about the consequences, and I love that about God. So Amos urges them to reconsider their actions and, and recommit themselves to God. So Amos chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. Zion represents the place of God, the people of God, the dwelling of God. And to you who feel secure at Mount Samaria, you notable men of the form, foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come, go to Calneath and look at it. Go from there to great Hamath and then go to Gath in Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the day of disaster. Excuse me. You put off the day of disaster and bring near a reign of terror. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will bring, be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and your lounging will end. And although it may not seem clear at the outset, there are really four areas of recommitment that Amos is talking about. And the first one is your discipline with God. Your discipline with God. He says in verse 1, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. As I said, Zion represents the place of God, the house of God, the people of God, the dwelling of God. So he's saying, those of you who are complacent with God. Let me translate that to our situation right here. Woe to you who are complacent at Life Church. Woe to you who are complacent at Life Church. You've got a place, you're getting a building, you've got some things to celebrate, you're above statistical averages of how many of your congregation are worshiping and engaged, right, during the midst of COVID. Oh, it's kind of good. Woe to you who are complacent at Life Church. Woe to your pastor if he is complacent as he leads the people. To be complacent is to be lax, lazy in our relationship with God. How is your relationship with God? Can you point to a time in your life when you said, I had a lot more spiritual zeal then than I do now? Yeah, I understand. Life happens. It took me 15 months to process my mom's death. If you looked at me sideways, I would bawl. I'd go in the other room and bawl. I'm like, what is, am I losing my mind? Well, no, it's life. It's human emotion. I, I get it. But God, the God we serve brings us through things and makes us better people as we experience these different human experiences. 
And so how is your relationship with God? Are you passionate about God or are you complacent? Has, you know, when you're sitting at home and, and you're doing your thing at home, are you just on your phone all the time? Are you just going through uh, social media, Instagram, uh, Twitter, TikTok, Skype, whatever, you know, you name it, whatever, Facebook? Are you just, you know, watching all the different ways that we can take in media at all? Or somewhere, is there a hunger for God in the midst of all of this that, that you just say, God, I need you today? My, our pastor would say, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. But I don't have to worry about that this morning because you could hear a mouse breathe in this place. Come on. How many times have you sat on your bed in the last three months and said, God, our nation needs you. I need you. Right? Like I'm hungry. What do you have for me in this? What do you want to do? What do you want to teach me? What do I need to do differently with my kids, my husband, my wife? Reveal yourself to me in a new way, God. It's the basics that make a difference. I always wanted to play sports. I had some athletic ability. I had a totally unbridled thought process. I had no desire for the disciplines of the sports. I just liked to play them. Can I tell you that's totally different? It's totally different to go to the park and play basketball, even with some really good ball players, than it is to step onto a court of people who've been disciplined and understand the game. Right? It's not the same. At the park, you're like, watch this one. You know, yeah. are you making people better? Are you anything different than a, a move or two? What kind of impact do you have on the whole? You have to understand the game to get to the next level. Amen. I agree. <laughs> you have to understand the game. Are, are you getting the basics? When's the last time you had a meaningful prayer time with God? When is the last time you heard God tell you something specific? that changed your life? When is the last time you heard God tell you something specific that changed your life? When is the last time a Bible verse just came alive to you? And you're like, oh man, that's fresh. That's rich. You see, it's when those things are happening that we know we're not complacent. How are your disciplines with God? You know, one of the things about discipline is this. You can, if you are a disciplined person, and I always think of diet and exercise in this category, you can look disciplined long after you lose the disciplines. You can look disciplined long after you lose the disciplines. But if you don't get it back, it will become apparent to all 
to everybody around you in a given situation. Because what you need to do it, in fact, my shoulder is living example, right? Like last December, the week after Christmas, I tried to live the same way I, w- I did when I was faithful to my workouts and diet and exercise, and I tried to lift something with a group of guys, and it was over. When you lose the discipline, it will eventually become apparent. And it's not that when we're not living disciplined lives in God that we don't care. It's just that we lack commitment. And it's time to recommit. Can I tell you something? Facilities do not build churches. They just facilitate better what God wants to do. The church builds the church. But the buildings facilitate and they're a tool of what God wants to do. And so if we're lax, that's going to show when we get a building. How is your discipline with God? Secondly, Amos talks to them about their dependence on God. You who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation. You see, at this time, they were living in a situation where they were never more powerful. Militarily, they were the strongest. Peace was there through strength. The capital city was Samaria. The Mount of Samaria was located high on a hill with steep sides, protected, thought to be impenetrable, and they felt secure. Nobody can get us. Nobody can take care of us. Can I tell you, and I'm going to meddle just a little bit, and then I'm going to step off from this landmine very quickly. The Bible is not blue or red. The Bible is about the one true God, no matter the circumstance. We depend on God. We vote people into office, but we depend on God. Are you with me? And so God is not tossed and turned and all of this crazy stuff depend. Oh my word, I'm totally surprised who got voted into office. Can you imagine the Lord saying that? No. He's our source. My dad worked at General Motors 41 years. It was his only job as an adult. 41 years, General Motors signed his paycheck. God was his source. So when when there were threats of layoffs and all these kinds of things, he would say, I'm just praying that God take care of us because he's in control anyway. And Israel found themselves depending on God. The fact that the city was impenetrable, the peace that was around them, all of these types of things. And, and we all want peace, but one of the problems I have, one more slight step, and then I'm getting off of it, totally. Blue and red, we all depend too much on ourselves. 
Blue and red, we all depend too much on ourselves. If we can do this, we'll be okay. If we can do this, we'll be okay. Now, I obviously have my own thoughts as a person. But can I tell you what I pray the most? God, whatever happens, I give it to you and we need you or we are dead. That's all it is. Do you depend on God? Who is your source, your job? A person for you, a husband or a wife, can I tell you, they will never be able to provide all that you need. Only God. What was the last example of dependency of God in my life or in your life? When's the last time you said, God, I'm going to depend on you so much and follow this thing that you've put in my heart, that my commitment's leading me to, that if you don't come through, I'm dead. Maybe not physically, and maybe physically. But if you don't come through, it's over for me, God. I'm going to have to rebuild everything. Right? Like, if there's not a miracle, I'm going to be the laughing stock. I can point to those in my life. Can you point to those in your life? I think it's what God wants. I think there's something about God that He wants to take us to the edge where we have to depend on Him, where if we don't, and imagine our vision. This morning, I'm in the other room yesterday. I'm at home, and I'm just saying, God, I I can't wait to see what you do in this building and and all of these things. And, And here's the deal. God will if we depend on Him. God will. We do all the technical things, and I missed some this morning, and I realized how important they are. But the Lord builds the house, and those who build it labor in vain unless he does. So we got to depend on him, but it's the same in our lives and in our families. Some of you parents, you have a child, adult child, and I'm only going to go two hours this morning, so settle in. Um, You have an adult child, and they're away from God, and you know what you do? You preach at them all the time. You preach at them all the time. Because you you want them to surrender their life to Christ. Well, who wouldn't? I, I want everybody in my family to come to Christ. Sometimes we have to say, God, I'll pray and I'll let you do what I can't do. Right? Like, I'm going to depend on you. I'm, I was 45 years old the first time I had the thought that I could maybe lose a parent and survive. Right? 45 years old. And I had it consciously. I was a mama's boy and a daddy's boy, apparently. So I've always prayed, Lord, give me till... I'm 75 with good health because I'm 30 years older than my daughter. And I was 45 the first time I thought I had, could, could make it if one of my parents passed. And I've always held to that and prayed that. And, you know, now I'm a grandpa. Coolest thing in the world is being a grandpa and a grandma. It is awesome. Anyway, so recently... Uh, in my daughter's pregnancy, I was thinking about this. 
And the Lord convicted me. I was even praying about it. Lord, give me till 75. I want to influence four generations. That's my goal. Influence four generations. And, but I think it had become a little obsessive. And the Lord said this to me. You think you can do better than I can? You think you can do better than I can? You think if you're not here, there's nobody? <laughs> you know, now... I still want that as a goal. My daughter's heart just started pounding, you know. <laughs> I still want that as a goal. But God spoke a great point in my heart and in my life. I don't hold this together. I don't hold anything together. God holds it all together. And I don't have to worry about my wife. Her and Morgan went on a day trip yesterday. I didn't want her to go. She looked so cute. I'm like, you go straight there to see family and come straight home. You look so cute today, right? I'm not worried about her. But I don't have to worry about anything. God's got it if we depend on him. Third, devotion. Verses four. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You don't dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on your musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions. You know, basically it's saying, hey, you've got everything great. You're just sitting there, you know, you're, you're taking your pleasures and... You know, you're just living your life. And I have to admit, I'm a little high maintenance. I love the pleasures of life, right? I love the pleasures of life. They're awesome. I don't want to go without them. But you're just kind of floating by, and your passion is about these things. And God is saying through Amos to the children of Israel, and I think he's saying to us today, where is your passion? Is it about your, your treasure? Is it about all of the, the things that you get in America? Can I tell you that I think that's been one of the things that has affected us as the church in America, is that we love our, our pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. But we love our pleasure. And God is saying, are you more devoted to your pleasure or me? It's expressed in our time, treasure, and talents. You know, I think there's such a thing, believe it or not, you're not going to hear very many pastors say this, I don't think, but I believe you can go to church too much. Do I have any amens? I have an amen, okay? I think I grew up in a home where we went like too much. There's, there's, there's enough, okay? Like five times a week between board meetings and whatever. Um, but I love that my dad had this attitude where if you would say to him, are we going to church? He would laugh and say, have we changed around here? Of course we're going to church. Right? It didn't matter if it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Pastor Aaron and I had the same type of dad. Because if you said to my parents, I can't go to church, I don't feel good, you know what they would say? Church is the perfect place, they're going to lay hands on you and God's going to heal you. you know? So that, that's, 
time, treasure, and talents. Give something to God. Make a difference in the world and, and be a part of what God is doing. When we would get to church when we were young guys, my young boys, my dad would hand me his tithe envelope. And he would say, son, the first is God's. I'm in the choir today. Put this in the basket. Right? And I'm like, $55 a week. What in the world could I do with $55 a week when I was a little guy? And then one week, a woman came over, a friend of my mom's, and I was in the kitchen with my mom, and she said, Bonnie, I know it's tough. She handed my mom an envelope with $50 in it. Okay, now, now let me help you connect some dots. God's is God's, and then God takes care of us. Right? Yeah. You with me? Yeah. God's is God's. So it's not just when it's extra. We learn to do it first because it's God's. And then he takes care of us. So it doesn't mean that, you know, when you don't have any needs, give of your time, talent, and treasure. It means give of your time, talent, and treasure, and God will fill in the gaps. That, that's what that means. How is your devotion to God? I've said this for many, many years, that if you take my wallet, checkbook, debit card, whatever you want to say, now everything's online. That will show you where my heart is. That's what, that will show you what I'm devoted to. And I'm devoted to several of the local restaurants around town. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Chick-fil-A. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. I'm not a promotion machine, but they have a great drive through Anyway, so moving on. But the number one goes to God every, every, every month. Right? That's, that's devotion to the Lord. So how does it play out in your life? And finally, the dreams of God, the calling. In verse 6, he says, But you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. You see, God delivered the children of Israel through Joseph. Then eventually they repeated their pattern. But God gave Joseph a dream, a couple of dreams of how he would bless not only Joseph, but the children of Israel. And Israel had let go of those dreams. Do you know sometimes it's hard to dream because, or, or hold on to a dream because we're still in the dungeon like Joseph was. He was in prison. He had the dreams. Nothing good was happening. Some of you have been here since the beginning of Life Church. You have a dream. You have a dream of a place where people are consistently coming to Christ. You have a dream where families are just united under the things of God. That's why I do what I do. Our family was blessed by God through the local church. And I believe it's the greatest blessing in my life. And I want to see that in the valley over and over and over and over again. Again, but you're nervous as we move into a building because it's been so long that you've let go of just this honest, true willingness that if I give, if I invest, if I do this, will it really come to pass? And I can tell you, it is coming to pass. Not will it, it is. And it will be exponential as we hold on to the dream of God. Are you living to dream? 
Are you living to dream? Do you know that there will always be what, what, what would be considered border bullies in your life? You got a dream to go somewhere and, and they'll say, it can't be done. When I agreed to move to Appleton, do you know the statistic I heard? A church that age with that attendance will not, has a 20% chance of getting over the top and being real. You call that a border bully. 20% chance of getting over the top. But you see, God gives dreams. And he says, you know what? We're going to put this, I'm going to put this dream in your heart and you can go for it. And if you trust me, if you believe, if you're committed, if you're these things, I will bring it to pass. All you have to do is be faithful. And can I say that I see today a totally different scenario than we have because it's a dream. But we partner with God to make the dream a reality. Who have you been praying for to bring to church? Not just when we get in a new facility, but who have you been praying to bring to church? Who have you been praying that God would make a difference in their life? Who have you been daring to dream that that scoundrel will come to Jesus? Or have you let go of your dreams? Are you living the dream? And not the American dream, although I love all that America has to offer. So what about God's dream in your life? What is it? Are you living it out? And so as we land the plane, so to speak, this morning, what areas do you need to recommit to? What do you need to recommit to? What daily disciplines do you need to recommit to spiritually? Maybe it's your dependency upon God. Maybe it's your devotion to Him, your love and your passion for your relationship with Him and serving Him. Maybe it's your calling where God wants you to serve and how He wants you to make a difference. Now, one thing about a message like today's message is it hits all of us differently you can take a number of things away from it. But it is intended to be a bit of a wake-up call, to break us out of complacency where there may be complacency. Because every one of us in this room needs to recommit to at least one of the areas that we listed here today. There's something that God wants to break through in your life. And the question is not, do we need to recommit to that area? But will we recommit to that area? It's not, do we need to? It's, will we? And I want to pray for you today. Father, we pray today that as we conclude this message, that you would just seal the words and in our heart here about the fact that we need to recommit to you in some areas of our lives and for each of us God those can be different areas but I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do what I can't do I can share I can communicate hopefully good thoughts that are from you but it's your Holy Spirit that takes those and seals those in the hearts of people 
You know, so often I think, Lord, we, we get excited in church at a message that's a particular way. And, but then Monday we kind of forgot about it. But this message about recommitment is about Monday. It's about the next day and the next day and the next day. So God, help us not just to review, help us not just to repent or desire change, but to recommit to the things necessary to make that happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have the privilege this morning before our team closes to share in communion. If you had the emblems or saw the emblems outside the door this morning, I did not get one. Could someone bring me an emblem? That would be terrific. And we're going to share in communion. Let me say that we'll just give you a second here to tear off. Thank you. Tear off the top. We just started doing this because uh, didn't want to pass the communion plates with COVID, so I'll give you a second to tear that off. The wafer will come off, and then you open it again for the juice. The valley needs Jesus. Man, if there's one thing I've learned since I've lived here, the valley needs Jesus. A lot of people and I'm so thankful for what Jesus has done. I'm so thankful for the fact that he gave himself. You know, the Roman soldiers lifted him up and put him on the cross, but it was his plan. I'm blown away by the fact that the Bible says it pleased God to bruise him. That, that's pretty powerful. It pleased God to bruise him for you and for me and for the lost world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wafer, and it represents your body, which is given for us. We thank you, Lord, for all that is in the atonement. We thank you for the fact that our body, one day we'll receive a glorified body. There'll be no more sickness, no more pain. But Lord, in the meantime, we've got needs in our bodies. We thank you that you touch us here on earth as well. I pray for people that need a physical touch from you, myself included. Do your work, God, I pray. We thank you for your body. Amen. Would you eat of the bread? And Lord, the greatest common denominator that unites all believers is the blood of Christ. I'm so thankful for the blood of Christ that forgives our sins makes us whiter than snow. Man, Lord, thank you so much for that. We don't deserve it, but we thank you for it. We bless you, Lord. Thank you for your shed blood on Calvary. Your name. Would you drink of the cup? Would you stand as our team leads us through one final song today? God bless you.